Hello, Vitality Radio listeners. We just wanted to give you a heads up that this episode discusses suicide and suicidal thoughts, and it may be triggering for some individuals. Thank you. Welcome to the Vitality Radio Podcast, your source for the truth about health, wellness, and real alternatives to drugs, surgeries, and the status quo of healthcare. Here, you'll find information that empowers you to take control of your health. But it's not just about health and wellness, it's about the politics of healthcare and protecting your health freedom. Now, here's your host, Jared St. Clair. Hello and welcome to Vitality Radio. I'm your host, Jared St. Clair, and it's good to be with you again on another beautiful Saturday in Salt Lake City, nonetheless, albeit cold. And in the wintertime, a lot of people struggle even more with things like anxiety, depression, uh, just generally feeling a little melancholy. And of course, then there are people who struggle with that all year long. And that will be the topic of today's Vitality Radio. We're going to talk about anxiety, stress, depression, and insomnia, all of which are pretty linked in together. A lot of people deal with different symptoms, but generally speaking, those uh, things, of course, are all interrelated to a a large degree. And what we're going to do today on the show is we're going to start by digging into some rantable things that uh, I discovered while I was perusing the internet. And we'll talk about benzodiazepines specifically. I've talked a lot about opiates lately. I've talked a little bit about benzos, but I'm going to get a little deeper into that today. And I'm going to also Uh, talk about some of the things that I think are really wrong with modern medicine in terms of how prescribing is done, things like that. So we're going to get into that during the rant. And then I'm going to talk about some things that I believe are valid alternatives to these dangerous drugs that you can do to help with your anxiety, your stress, depression, insomnia, or some combination of those things. It seems like much of the time when I talk to people at Vitality Nutrition, they come into me and say that they're dealing with anxiety, but they're also dealing with depression, or they're dealing with anxiety, but they're also dealing with insomnia, or sometimes it's all three. Stress, of course, is right there at the top of that uh, anxiety thing. And so I find that many of the people that are dealing with these things are dealing with more than just one. And so I think the topics work well together, and I'm very excited actually to share with you some things that I've discovered over the years that help people with these issues. So that'll be part two of the show. Okay, it is time for the morning rant. In a world full of often confusing messages about health, let Jared be your guide through the smoke screens of corporate greed, media bias, government ineptitude, and propaganda. When you see what is really happening, you'll be ranting too. It's time to expose the hidden agendas. It's time for the truth. It's time for the vital rant. 
Okay, so today's rant, I've got a couple of things that I'm pulling from online. NBC News had a very, very brief blurb a few months ago that I actually believe I saw back then. And I think I even talked about it a little bit, but I haven't ranted about it. So we'll rant about that a little bit. And that was a uh, headline that said, Is anti-anxiety medication the next U.S. drug crisis? Of course, they're referring to the opioid crisis that we're currently experiencing here in America. The answer, I think, is it's actually well put. In the uh, interview that was conducted, the doctor that uh, was interviewed actually said, no, I don't think it's the next crisis. It is currently a crisis. It just happens to be a smaller one than the opioid crisis. But you're going to be I think very interested to hear how interrelated these two drugs uh, or drug classes are uh, once we get rolling on the show here. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then I'm going to borrow a lot from something Dr. David Sack. He wrote this in Psychology Today. He's a well-educated uh, guy on the MD side of this stuff, and I was very interested in what he had to say. Uh, he's a board-certified psychiatrist. And he works specifically in addiction psychiatry and addiction medicine. He's the chief medical officer at Elements Behavioral Health. He oversees a network of addiction treatment centers and is located in Texas. So he certainly sees his share of people dealing with these kinds of issues. And uh, he wrote some really, really good stuff that I'm going to share with you. Okay, first we'll start with what NBC had to say. Prescriptions for benzodiazepines. Now, benzodiazepines are also known as benzos. Uh, these include things like Valium, Xanax, Ativan, Lorazepam, you may have heard of. Uh, there's a few others. And these are generally marketed as anti-anxiety drugs, but are often used as sleep medication. In fact, I talk to a lot of people who come in and say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm taking clonopin or I'm taking lorazepam or Xanax or whatever. I have to ask them, well, are you using it for anxiety or are you using it for insomnia? And in many cases, it's both. In some cases, it's one or the other. And that gets a little confusing. But the next thing is very interesting, and that is where I ask them, how long have you been using it? These are supposed to be prescribed for a very short-term use, anywhere from about two to eight weeks, depending on the drug and the dosage. And yet I routinely have people come in and telling me they've been on them for years, sometimes as many as 20 years. That in and of itself is, well, bad medicine. I hate to quote Bon Jovi so often, but there's so much of it going around that uh, I think it's important that we do that. So, yeah, we have these prescribers, uh, doctors out there, they're prescribing mass quantities of these drugs when minimum quantities should be used. And I'm not necessarily saying they're prescribing the wrong dose. I'm saying they're prescribing it and then just leaving their patients on it long term. There's a reason why these are controlled substances. There's a reason why we have addiction centers full of people on benzodiazepines. And one of the biggest reasons is that people are on them too long and they form an addiction and a habit and then they get themselves into trouble. So here are some of the numbers. Prescriptions have increased more than 60% in the last two decades. Overdose deaths involving them have more than quadrupled between 2002 and 2015. And some states are now actually limiting the number of pills that a patient can be prescribed. Go states. That's what I say. So that's uh, from NBC News. And those are some pretty startling numbers. 60% more prescriptions over the last 20 years. 
and four times as many deaths over just the last 13 years. So we know now that this is obviously a problem and we're getting more prescriptions, but but only 60% more prescriptions and 400% more deaths. That's very, very interesting if you ask me. Okay, so Dr. David Sachs said some really good things in this article in Psychology Today, and I would actually encourage you to read it if you're interested in this topic, and especially if you're on one of these drugs or a loved one is, because I feel like opiates have received enough publicity now over the last years, uh, you know, billboards talking about the opioid crisis and all kinds of news articles and radio shows like mine and TV uh, shows and news stations are talking about it, that we now are pretty aware, at least, that this is a problem. Now, the problem hasn't gone away, for sure, but there's, there's an awareness. And when I talk to people at Vitality Nutrition, I find that a lot of people will be very uncomfortable that they're on an opiate. They don't like the idea of being on an opiate. They feel like it could be potentially dangerous. But when I talk to people who are on benzodiazepines, I often feel like it's just normal. It's, you know, it's not different than being on a blood pressure medication or a cholesterol drug or something like that. And that is a problem because they are extremely dangerous. They are highly addictive. And yet what's happening is they're being prescribed, I think, to a large extent, kind of willy-nilly out there, as if there isn't really a big problem. People are being left on them for years, and that is maybe the biggest thing that I hope you come away with today after we uh, go over uh, this rant, that this is a problem, that these are drugs that you do not want to be on long-term. And if you are on one, or like I said, a friend or a family member is on one, or even someone you actually care about, that's a little joke, but uh, if you have anybody in your life that's on this kind of drug, or you might be on this kind of drug, and you think it's not a big deal, it's a big deal. Now, I'm not saying go cold turkey and jump off of it, because that's very dangerous, but you ought to be looking into alternatives, because This is not something that you should be relying on long term. And even the drug makers themselves and the FDA say that that is absolutely the case. Okay, so now to what Dr. David Sachs says. Benzodiazepines or benzos are a class of central nervous system depressants that most people know by the brand name Xanax, Ativan, Valium, and Clonopin. These drugs commonly prescribed in their generic form are typically used to treat anxiety, insomnia, and seizures, and they're being prescribed at alarmingly high rates, he says. Prescriptions for benzos more than tripled and fatal overdoses more than quadrupled between 96 and 2013, which we already talked about. In fact, benzos have been so grossly overused that they are not only the top prescribed psychiatric medication, but also among the most prescribed medications of any type in the United States. Nearly 50 million prescriptions for the more common types of benzos are written each year. So what's the problem with that? What's the trouble with benzos? The benefits of benzos have been oversold, he says. For decades, they've been prescribed for anxiety and sleep, but the evidence indicates that they don't even work very well. They are not intended for long-term use. Studies have shown that over the long term, benzos can actually increase anxiety symptoms. Now, I've seen that firsthand with a few people that uh, shop with me at Vitality where they'll come in and say, yeah, you know, I I took this stuff originally for anxiety and it worked for a while. 
And now I have higher anxiety than I ever have. I can't get off this stuff because I'm addicted to it. This is a pretty common problem. I talked to somebody uh, just the other day, I think it was just last week, at Vitality who was prescribed one of these. And the first dose freaked with her body so much, she has had a higher level of anxiety ever since. And she only took it once. So we know that's kind of an extreme case. I get it, but it does happen. And the extreme cases aren't necessarily ones that we should ignore. At the very end of this rant, I'll share with you a couple of what might seem like extreme cases that actually aren't that extreme when it comes to benzos. Tolerance and dependence can develop very quickly on these drugs. There have been reports of people who received high doses of benzos becoming physically dependent in as little as two days. Without medical supervision, withdrawal symptoms after stopping benzos can be severe, ranging from extremely intensified anxiety to high blood pressure, shaking, seizures, and convulsions. The higher the dose and the longer the use, the greater the likelihood of addiction. Now, what makes these drugs even more dangerous is that many people combine benzos with other substances, such as opiates and alcohol. New research shows that even though the danger of prescribing benzos and opioids together is well known, more and more doctors are doing exactly that. From 2001 to 2013, concurrent benzo and opioid prescribing increased by 80% according to an analysis that was done at Stanford University School of Medicine. Now, I want you to hear that again because I think that's very, very important. This is where I get really frustrated with what's happening in medicine right now is that I really believe that a, a percentage of doctors are just not doing their job. It says, new research shows that even though the danger of prescribing benzos and opioids together is well known, more and more doctors are doing exactly that. Over a 12-year period, from 2001 to 2013, concurrent benzo and opioid prescribing increased by 80%. That's inexcusable. There's no good reason why that should be the case. According to Dr. Sack, on a risk-benefit analysis, this makes no sense to prescribe both. An all-too-familiar scenario is the person who gets opioids for back pain and later benzos for sleep. Then he comes home from work and has a drink. That's when he is likely to follow in the footsteps of Heath Ledger, whose tragic death was attributed to the same deadly combination. Highlighting the perils of benzos is not meant to diminish the significant dangers of prescription painkillers, Dr. Sachs says. These are a big deal. But get this, opiate addiction has become a national crisis. In fact, prescription painkillers like oxycodone and hydrocodone are estimated to be involved in three out of every four prescription drug overdose deaths in the United States. And that's a fact worth noting. However, 30% of opioid-related deaths, a combination of benzos and opioids, caused the overdose. Now, think about that. If three out of four deaths uh, by prescription drugs are attributed to opiates, and 30% of those, the opiate is combined with a benzo, then we have a problem when doctors are prescribing both of them to people. And I'll tell you, it's another thing I've seen on a pretty regular basis at Vitality over the years, talking to people about their health and what drugs they're on, people saying, yeah, I'm taking lorazepam for sleep, and I'm taking oxy for my chronic pain. So although benzo overdoses increased by more than 500% from 2001 to 2013, 
from 96 to 2013, research reveals that combining benzos with opioids is also contributing to the increased number of drug deaths. So why does this happen? You might uh, want to know because these are both things that slow down the body systems, as does alcohol. So when alcohol is introduced on top of them, it's even worse. But all these slow down body systems. But what's interesting, according to Dr. Sack, is that when you do benzos and opiates, it's exponential. It's not like taking double a level of benzos or double the level of opiates. It's like taking three to four times as much because when combined together, they heighten the overall slowing of the system. And then if, again, you add alcohol into that, it gets really bad. What if you're an alcoholic? Approximately 40% of alcoholics have been found to regularly abuse the benzo alprazolam. I love these drug names. They, I think they're just trying to confuse us, which is actually known as Xanax. And people know about Xanax. People joke about Xanax. Have you noticed that? Oh, man, I need a Xanax. It's been a stressful day. Alcohol, a depressant, is particularly dangerous when mixed with the sedative effects of benzos, increasing the likelihood of overdose and respiratory failure. So 40% of alcoholics have been found to regularly abuse Xanax. A wicked, wicked combination for sure. Even when doctors recognize the risks... I do this a lot on Vitality Radio, where I have to stop in the middle of something that I'm reading and just digest it for a second. Like, I need some digestive enzymes to take all this in, because this is so ridiculous. I mean, it was just, I think it was just last week's show, or the week before, where we talked about how doctors feel pressure from their patients, and so when they're under pressure, they feel like they have to prescribe an antibiotic. You remember that? Well, how about today? when they feel pressure that they need to prescribe opioids and benzos at the same time. It's more likely to happen during a typically brief 15-minute primary care visit. And a lot of people don't even get 15 minutes during those visits uh, with your doctor where there's just not much time for consultation, which of course is one of the biggest issues with modern medicine anyways. You don't even barely get a chance to talk to your doctor. You go in there, you were there for five or ten minutes after waiting for five hours in the waiting room, and he or she uh, writes out the prescription and sends you on your way. This is the, the picture that Dr. Sack puts out there. The physician wants to help the patient, but doesn't have sufficient time to explore underlying causes, medication interactions, or alternative treatments. It also isn't clear if doctors are properly even warning their patients of the potential dangers of combining the drugs or if they are monitoring them to help prevent addiction. The NBC News story that I referred to earlier on said that it's believed that many doctors don't even realize how dangerous benzos are. Now, we have to recognize that when you're a salesperson, now just bear with me on this, right? Well, let me tell you a little story. There was a time that uh, I was a young man. I know it's been a long time ago. I get it. I was first married And my wife and I went to a car dealership to buy our first car together. And the salesman walks out and he says, how can I help you? And I said, you know, we're looking for a family car. We're going to have a baby soon. And so, you know, something with four doors, easy to get in and out of uh, the back seat so that we can, you know, tend to the baby. I mean, I laid it all out, told him exactly, you know, what kind of mileage we were looking for, the whole thing. And he says, "Okay, I, I think I've got something you'll really like. And no kidding, (laughs) if he didn't take us 
to a two-door sports car with a really, really small seat that was nearly inaccessible. And there's no way you could put a car seat back there. Sometimes salespeople just want to sell you what they want to sell you, right? And I think that probably holds true uh, in prescription drugs. And so I'm not talking about your doctor now, but possibly the pharmaceutical salesperson that's going in there and telling the doctor all the wonderful things about the drug that they're pitching right now. They're going to do exactly like they do on the commercials for prescriptions, right? You're going to see the happy person whose life has changed for the better since they started taking this drug. And then they're going to really minimize and de-emphasize all the horrible side effects at the end. Have you noticed that? I know you've noticed that. Pay a little more attention, though. When you're watching one of these stupid drug ads that should be illegal in the first place, they are in almost every other country, but aside from that, watch them. And you'll have this amazing, high energy, man, life is good. I'm on this drug and I feel so good. Oh, but I might die of cardiovascular disease and, you know, my leg might fall off. You'll have these things that happen at the end of the commercial that are so glossed over that sometimes you almost don't even notice them. So maybe doctors aren't well educated on these drugs and how they're being prescribed or how they should be pre prescribed because, unfortunately, their education comes from the pharmaceutical companies, unless they choose to educate themselves. I think some doctors do. I think a lot of doctors don't. And that is a problem. So let's talk about this. You know that uh, Xanax is often used, so is uh, Clonopin and uh, Valium, as a, an aid in breaking another type of addiction. And Dr. Sachs says this is an absolutely horrible idea. Now, it's used because we have anxiety when we're trying to break an addiction, you know, whether it's cigarettes or alcohol or um, cocaine or whatever it is, we'll have this anxiety when we're trying to come off of it. Sometimes it's very extreme. And of course, these benzodiazepines are prescribed for anxiety on a pretty regular basis. Well, Dr. Sachs says that's an absolutely horrible idea. He says it's very, very likely to actually contribute to an addiction. A highly publicized case of benzos backfiring in addiction treatment involves singer Stevie Nicks. Now, the, Stevie Nicks is awesome, right? I mean, I think we can mostly, hopefully, agree on that. Uh, there's somebody out there that's not going to agree with that. But regardless, she's amazing. And she went to her psychiatrist. He recommended a benzodiazepine, clonopin, for her recovery from cocaine addiction. Nix publicly renounced the use of benzos for this purpose, saying that her eight-year battle with clonopin addiction was far more crippling and difficult to break than her cocaine addiction was. Not to mention cocaine's more fun. I mean, come on. Okay, I shouldn't talk about that. But you get the point. It's ridiculous that we are prescribing drugs that are actually more addictive to get off of drugs that for whatever reason, have been kind of more demonized, right? Because like cocaine is this awful thing. Now think about that because I'm going to talk about something else that just got passed in Utah a couple of months ago. But cocaine, oh my gosh, it's this horrible demonized drug. Now I'm not going to tell you to go on cocaine. That's not, it's not a drug that has a lot of use uh, in a healthy individual for sure. But why is cocaine this awful demon drug and benzos are like, oh, they're fine, right? I mean, it's just, I'm just on clonopin. I've only been on it for like 10 years because I can't sleep without it. Well, you know, that's one of the signs of addiction is when you can't sleep without it. 
it's a problem. Now, beyond that, I've mentioned on Vitality Radio before because it's near and dear to my heart. I talked about Stevie Nicks, who I love, but my probably favorite voice in rock music history is Chris Cornell. And when he died of a quote-unquote suicide, the assistant Wayne County medical examiner, Theodore Brown, who really needs to find another job, I bet he's more suited for like flipping burgers. I think that'd be an excellent idea. Maybe a paper route. Maybe you wouldn't hurt anybody this way. But Theodore Brown, the assistant medical examiner, told the Rolling Stone that based on the circumstances surrounding his death and the autopsy findings, the manner of death is suicide. The medical examiner then reiterated the circumstances of Cornell's death, which stated that Cornell was found partially suspended by a resistance exercise band in his hotel room. Now, I would assume that most people who walked into that hotel room and saw Chris Cornell hanging by an exercise band wrapped around his neck would think, yeah, suicide. Makes sense, right? The injuries sustained were all consistent with hanging, partially suspended by a resistance exercise band. Additionally, seven different drugs were found in Cornell's post-mortem toxicology report, including a significant dose of the anxiety medicine, Ativan. However, it is the medical examiner's opinion that these drugs did not contribute to the cause of death. Okay, I'm going to read that again because I need to understand if anybody besides me thinks that doesn't make any sense. Additionally, seven different drugs were found in Cornell's postmortem, especially a significant dose, and I'll tell you it was four times the normal dose, of Ativan, which is one of these benzos that I'm talking about. However, it is the medical examiner's opinion that these drugs did not contribute to the cause of death. Now, I get it. He hung himself. He was the only one in the room, and he was partially suspended by this exercise band. But to say that having four times the amount of a drug whose specific warning on the back of the bottle says suicidal thoughts did not contribute to his death is asinine. It makes absolutely no sense. It's This medical examiner, he needs to be fired or like I said, do something that won't hurt people. It's absolutely ridiculous. And here's the thing. Remember those numbers that I read at the very beginning of the rant? Those numbers that I read are the ones that medical examiners have said, this drug killed this person. They overdosed and they died because of this drug. And you can tell because their respiratory system stopped and they had five times as much uh, lower tab in their system they're supposed to or something like that. And then you say, okay, well, you know, one plus one equals two. But how about four times as much Ativan in your system plus hanging by a exercise band could also equal two? To say that it does not contribute is absolutely crazy. And so the numbers that we're reading where they say four times more deaths from benzos over the last 15 years, maybe it's five or six or 10, because that doesn't take into account the people who have killed themselves because of these drugs, either trying to get off of them, abusing them, or just having a bad 
uh, a bad reaction to the drug itself because that happens too. So these numbers that I'm sharing with you are actually staggering, but they're not as staggering as the actual numbers probably really are because all of this stuff really gets sugarcoated by these people who, I mean, I don't know what this medical examiner is thinking, but I feel like he just needs to be slapped a little bit just to wake him up a little bit to recognize what actually happened when Chris Cornell took too much of a drug, became suicidal because of the drug, and then committed suicide because that happens a lot. It's also these mass homicides. Yeah, that's another thing that happens with these kinds of drugs. So let's stop sugarcoating the whole thing with benzos being safe and fine and no big deal and staying on them for months and months and years and years when we now know without any doubt that they should only be used short terms and they should not be used at all most of the time. They're being written far too often. Even people on the side of medicine are saying this. Even the drug manufacturers are saying that we have to be careful how they're prescribed. Now, when the drug manufacturer says we have to be careful how we prescribe our drug, you know there's a problem. And the only reason they're going to say that is because they know there's a class action suit right around the corner. Okay, that's the rant for today. When I come back, I'm going to talk about the happy side of all this, where I'm going to tell you there are alternatives to these drugs. There are things naturally that you can do to help you with your problems of anxiety, insomnia, depression, all of these types of things. I'm going to give you some great tips when I come back. You're listening to me. My name is Jared St. Clair, and this is Vitality Radio. Insurgent Sports Nutrition is a brand new sports supplement company with a unique philosophy, refuse to conform. In the sports nutrition industry, one company starts something and has some success and everyone else tends to follow their lead. What you end up with is a bunch of Me Too products that don't add up to anything special. What you typically see on the market are formulas with all kinds of ingredients that look good on the label, but do very little to advance your training and performance. At Insurgents, our motto is, everything you need, nothing you don't. While many brands put the right ingredients in a product, most don't put the right dose. There are clinical trials for a reason to prove not only if an ingredient works, but also how much of that ingredient it takes to provide the desired effect. At Insurgents, we won't add an ingredient to a formula unless we can add the clinically effective dose. Our first formula is our Insurgents pre-workout. Pre-workouts nowadays are a dime a dozen. They even sell them at the big box stores. The vast majority of pre-workouts on the market are overdosed on caffeine and other stimulants and underdosed on the stuff that actually increases your performance. Insurgents pre-workout has all of the most critical ingredients to improve endurance, strength, energy, and without the crash that comes with a megadose of stimulants. Insurgents pre-workout comes with or without caffeine and has no additional stimulants. If you want a truly effective, hype-free pre-workout that tastes great, is free of artificial colors, and absolutely does the job, Refuse to conform and join the insurgents. For more information about insurgents pre-workout, call Vitality Nutrition, 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Welcome back to Vitality Radio. 
I'm your host each and every Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. My name is Jared St. Clair, and I'm excited to bring to you the second half of Vitality Radio today. My rant, well, it went a little long, and uh, yeah, I get a little passionate sometimes, and that's okay. I think what's going to have to happen here, based on looking at my notes, is that we're going to have to do two episodes on this topic, so we'll do a follow-up episode probably next week. We'll kind of have to see how things go. Sometimes I'm inspired to do something else. But uh, this episode, I'm going to focus on what we did during the rant. I'm going to finish up talking about anxiety, but specifically alternatives. Alternatives to benzodiazepines and other anxiety drugs that are not only safer, but in many cases even more effective and non-addictive to boot. So that's what we'll do in the back half of the show today. Okay, so here we go. Anxiety alternatives, alternatives to things that you may be using or uh, having uh, maybe have been prescribed and you're scared of using because you've heard horror stories. Good for you. Good for thinking and uh, recognizing that maybe there are alternatives, regardless of your situation or the situation of a loved one. Uh, when it comes to anxiety, it's good to know that there are things other than drugs that have shown to be very effective. So first, let's talk about some lifestyle stuff. Now, I uh, will definitely talk about some herbs and uh, vitamins and things like that, but there are a couple of things that are pretty simple, but not necessarily easy to incorporate into our lives. And maybe easy is the wrong word because they kind of are easy to incorporate, but it seems to be something that needs to become a habit. And sometimes that's not easy to create. So let's talk about these things. How about just plain deep breathing? Many of us, in fact, I would say most of us are shallow breathers. You know, it's an interesting thing. I've got this little guy. Uh, he's six years old, my youngest child. And one of my favorite sounds, if not my favorite sound in the world, is when he falls asleep and that deep sleep, that uh, that deep breathing that I hear from him. It's almost a little snore. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of cute too. But I absolutely love just laying there and listening to, to him after bedtime stories. It's a beautiful sound. But one of the things that's interesting is that when we're younger, we breathe deeper, especially as babies. And as we get older and life becomes more stressful, we tend to take less breaths and we take more shallow breaths. I'm notorious for this myself. I like to talk and I find myself on the radio especially uh, having a hard time actually just stopping and taking a breath because you know you don't want to hear that dead air on the radio. But uh, regardless, if you find yourself being this way, a shallow breather as opposed to a deep breather, you need to think and focus on your breath. One of the reasons meditation is so powerful for anxiety is because that's what's happening. You're focusing on your breath. You're taking the air all the way down to the bottom of the lungs. And there is real power in that. There's many studies that have shown that just simply deep breathing can reduce anxiety in a significant way. In fact, deep breathing can bring the end to an anxiety attack or a panic attack in many cases. So there's real power in it. If you're not familiar with how to do deep breathing exercises, that's why we have YouTube. Uh, they're all over the place on YouTube. You can uh, just Google 
deep breathing exercises and you'll find a whole bunch of them. There's some great ones. Dr. Andrew Weil has a really good one if you want to look his up, but plenty of them out there. And frankly, I don't think there's one that's a hundred times better than another. So just look into that and give it a shot. There's real power in just bringing more oxygen into the body. There's real power in focusing on that breath and taking the focus off the things that are driving you crazy. So look into that for sure. The next one that can and should become a habit is exercise. Now, exercise is tough for a lot of people, me included. Now, I really, really want to be optimally fit, right? Who doesn't? But sometimes the effort involved, the time involved, is a little bit of a downer. But did you know that there is evidence that just a 20-minute walk after dinner each night uh, can reduce the need for type 2 diabetics to uh, use insulin on a daily basis. It can reduce the need dramatically. Just a 20-minute walk after dinner. There's real power in simple exercise. And if you're not an avid exerciser, then one of the things that I think tends to bog us down and get in our way is that we think we've got to do some crazy regimen, you know, five days a week, or we got to hire a personal trainer or whatever it is, but just simple things, a walk around the block or two, uh, calisthenics, things like that can be a big, big improvement in your body's ability to handle anxiety. I know people who find that a hike in nature makes all the difference in the world when it comes to how they feel and their nervous tension and stress. So definitely look into that as well. If you're really struggling with a problem, there's a high level of anxiety because of something that's going on in your life. Focusing on your breath while taking a hike can absolutely calm you down and really, I think, help you sort through the things that have to be sorted through, just kind of getting away from it all for a little while. So there's real value in that. Diet. What about not eating things that make us anxious? Many of us consume far too much caffeine, and that can be a problem. Many of us consume too much caffeine late in the day when we ought to be calming down and uh, we end up having a hard time falling asleep. And so caffeine can be an issue. But what about sugar? A lot of people don't think of sugar when it comes to anxiety, but it's a big deal. Sugar is extremely inflammatory to the entire system, including the nervous system. It can create a lot of issues with anxiety. And one of the biggest things that comes with it is this up and down of the blood sugar cycle where we feel energized, and then we feel exhausted. And those that combination can lead to anxiety or feelings of anxiousness as well as depression. So avoiding sugar, especially refined sugar, is a big deal. And then number four in the lifestyle category, and we'll talk a lot about this on the next episode, sleep. Now, you might be saying, Jared, come on, man. How am I supposed to sleep when I'm so darn anxious? Well, there's truth in that, right? And the when we get into the supplement part here in a minute... I'll talk a little bit about supplements and how these supplements can not only help you control anxiety, but also help you sleep better. And yes, the two obviously uh, oftentimes go hand in hand. Okay, so now let's talk about things that you can take that can help with your anxiety. Now, 
I just have been in the middle. I, I decided to take a little break before I do the Vital 5, Episode 5, about Omega-3s. But I will be bringing you that. So if you thought you missed it, you didn't. It's coming up. But I've been talking about these Vital 5. And one of the reasons I talk about it is because they are vital to so many things in our lives. And especially in the case of probiotics, in the case of magnesium, uh, like I talked about last week, and in the case of fish oil, they play a big role in mental health in anxiety, depression, insomnia, OCD, ADD, you name it, any of those types of things, there's a big, big void in most people's bodies of those substances that we need to help get on top of our anxiety for sure. So don't ever forget the Vital Five. That's a big deal, and I'll address one of them at the end of the show uh, for just a moment and how it pertains to anxiety. But the all-star defeating anxiety when it comes to herbs is CBD. Now, you've probably heard of CBD by now. It's all over the place. Uh, You may also have heard of THC, and you may have some confusion. THC, CBD, the two major cannabinoid uh, groups that are found in marijuana, yes, and now in Utah, At some point, medical marijuana will roll around in some form or fashion. But for the last few years, we've had CBD, and CBD is phenomenal for anxiety. I've never seen an herb that does what CBD does, and the CBD that's sold uh, over-the-counter in Utah comes from industrial hemp, not from marijuana anyway. So if you're worried about getting high, don't worry. It can't do that to you, but it can really help with anxiety in a significant way. I've seen it for myself with dozens and dozens of people at Vitality Nutrition. It is phenomenal stuff. It works by working within the central nervous system at what are called the endocannabinoid receptors. Now, we have endocannabinoids that our body produces, some which are produced during deep breathing, some which are produced during exercise, and uh, some are produced when we're under stress and the body is trying to calm down. There's a variety of other times that the body produces these, but when we have extreme stress or a high level of anxiety, especially for an extended period of time, it's very likely that we have become depleted and don't have enough of the endocannabinoids. Therefore, CBD, which is a phytocannabinoid, which attaches to the same receptor sites and in the central nervous system, is a fantastic way to fill that gap. And it's non-addictive. It's incredibly safe at a variety of doses uh, at pretty much all ages. And kind of worst case scenario is maybe it doesn't work for you, but it doesn't have those nasty side effects associated with things like clonopin and Xanax and so on. Now, I mentioned fish oil a second ago. One of the things about CBD, it works better in the presence of omega-3s. Omega-3s are fantastic and they are needed, whereas CBD is not necessarily a required thing. But if you have high anxiety, I would definitely give it a shot, especially take it with uh, at least a couple thousand milligrams of fish oil per day. It can make a big, big difference. What's the big side effect of CBD? Less inflammation, less pain, better sleep. Those are the big side effects. <gasps> Scary, right? Yes, CBD, an amazing, amazing thing. Definitely worth a look. In India, there is an herb that's been in use for thousands of years. It's called ashwagandha. Now, ashwagandha is 
fairly commonly known among people who look into herbs in this country, but it doesn't have nearly enough presence. The stuff is awesome. Now, in India, it's considered one of the kind of holy trinity of herbs. It's used extensively. It is a tonic herb because it works for so many different things in so many different ways. It's called an adaptogen. Adaptogenic herbs adapt to the body's needs at the time. So you can actually feel a little more energy at times from ashwagandha if you need it. You can feel more calm uh, when you need it. Now, I don't, don't generally recommend ashwagandha early in the day when our cortisol levels should be up because clinically, especially the sensoril form of ashwagandha, which is my personal favorite, sensoril has been shown to reduce cortisol levels by about 24% inside of a, the first hour after a dose. Now, cortisol is that big fight or flight hormone that comes on with high levels of stress and anxiety. If you can get that down, especially later in the day and in the evening, it can really, really improve your sleep. It can improve your feeling of well-being. Now, there are some people that will take ashwagandha that frankly just feel a little weird on it. No, nobody seems to be able to tell me exactly how they feel, but they just don't like the way they feel. But by and large, the majority of people that take ashwagandha notice a significant difference or no difference at all. There are some people that say, eh, I can't tell if I'm taking it, but the people that can notice it absolutely do great with it. There's clinical studies proving that it reduces cortisol dramatically and again as an adaptogen very 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 safe so you don't have to worry about those hairy side effects that come with the drugs that can uh, be prescribed for anxiety. Number three one of my personal favorites for a couple of reasons it's called L-theanine. It is technically an amino acid uh, interestingly enough, as a guy who grew up in a health food store, I thought I knew all the amino acids, L-arginine, L-lysine, L-ornithine, L-carnitine, and so on. And then all of a sudden, I don't know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, something like that, here comes L-theanine. And they're telling me it's this new amino acid. And I thought, I didn't even know that was possible. I thought we knew all the amino acids. But what happened is they were trying to figure out what was in green tea that allowed people to drink a lot of it, especially in Japan where that is very common, and not feel edgy, shaky, nervous like you would if you were drinking other sources of caffeine. And what they discovered is this, a very unique amino acid in there called L-theanine. Now L-theanine is very cool because it works on two primary um, pathways in the, in the body. It works on increasing alpha brain waves, which are the same type of brain waves that we produce more of when we are meditating and deep breathing. So kind of those feelings of, hey man, everything's okay. This is good. And then it also helps to produce GABA, which is an inhibitory neurotransmitter. This calms overreaction in the brain. When we have that those racing thoughts that make us unable to concentrate and focus, theanine can help with that. It is really, really cool stuff. And now my secret combination not the kind that you're thinking of, but the secret combo that I came up with with a little help of an old friend of mine that's been in the industry for a long time, L-theanine with caffeine. So I've admitted on this show that I am an undiagnosed ADHD guy. If you look at the, uh, the uh, DSM, you know, that big red book that uh, doctors use to diagnose you with stuff, well, <laughs> you look under ADHD, there's a picture of me. And the thing about it is focus is hard. My brain's going all the time. I got so many things going on. 
And one of the things that I have found works really, really well is if I get some caffeine and I also get some theanine. When I really need to focus in, this is a very common combination right before I go to work on a Vitality Radio episode. And what's great about it is the theanine, just like when it's in green tea, cuts the edge of the caffeine. I don't feel jittery or wired or shaky or anything like that. I just am able to kind of home in on what I'm trying to do and focus in and concentrate much more effectively when I have the theanine that has that GABA uh, and calms down that edge from the caffeine. If you deal with ADD type stuff or if you are um, highly stressed but tired and need a little boost, caffeine with theanine can actually be a pretty effective thing. Now, I don't recommend that daily. I don't ever think caffeine's a good idea daily, but theanine can be used daily. And if you're just dealing with stress, L-theanine is fantastic. We have it in a chewable tablet. That's how I use it. I love it because it's quick. I love it because it's great for kids that really struggle with anxiety or focus or attention. And uh, it actually tastes really good too. So L-theanine, fantastic stuff. Now I mentioned a couple of the, the old standbys, the Vital 5. Magnesium is a big deal. It helps to calm down your central nervous system. It helps to relax your muscles. It is the mag it, the mineral that allows the muscle to um, relax after it contracts. And so, if you think about what happens when you're under stress, when you have anxiety, you tend to tense up and tighten up. Magnesium helps to relax all that and calm things down. And I can just about guarantee you're deficient in it. So that's a pretty good starting point for anybody is magnesium because you probably need it anyway and it'll almost definitely help even if it's just a little bit. And then you can look into things like ashwagandha, L-theanine, some of these other things that I've talked about. And now for the last uh, bit of the show, I think I'm going to jump into uh, – well, let me talk about a couple formulas first, and then I'll, I'll save the kind of the best for last here. There are a few formulas I've had really good success with from a variety of different companies. One is called Anxiety Free, one's called Anxiety, and one is called Mind Retreat. Now, some of the things they have in common, ashwagandha, L-theanine, so you don't necessarily have to buy these individual ingredients. In many cases, the combinations work really, really well. So you can kind of look at those things. Another thing that I almost forgot to mention excuse me, almost forgot to mention, is B vitamins. Now, when we're under stress, we deplete B vitamins in a significant way, and we need to replenish those because the B vitamins are core nutrients for the central nervous system, uh, for the brain. They are very, very important. So uh, B vitamin complex or a combination like anxiety-free that has the B vitamins in it can be extremely useful. And now the last thing, but not the least thing, I'm going to hit it again. I hit it a lot. But I'm going to just kind of beat it into you until you <laughs> pay attention here. Probiotics. Now, why would you need a probiotic if you have anxiety? It's actually really simple. There's more traffic going from the gut to the brain than any other t combination of places inside the human body. And things like serotonin neurotransmitters and a variety of other things that are produced in the gut, not in the brain, have to be shuttled up there. But if the gut can't do its job, guess what? You're sort of stuck there, aren't you? And so we have to get the gut right. If you struggle with anxiety, I can almost always 
take a pretty good guess that you always will struggle with something in the gut. I just had a gentleman in today uh, to talk to me, and I uh, he called me on the phone. He said, yeah, I'm really trying to get off of my benzo, and uh, I want to, uh, you know, I want some help with that, and I'm curious what types of things you would recommend that I could use that might be alternatives. Those were his questions. In fact, it was his con- the conversation with him that brought me to do this topic on the show today. And uh, I said, well, let me, tell me about your gut. And he's, I said, do you have any gut issues? And he said, yeah, I've got pretty severe constipation. I said, that's what I thought. The thing about it is it's very simple. If your brain isn't working right for whatever, in a, whatever way that it isn't, you always need to look at the gut first. Look at your antibiotic history. Look at um, your history of illness Look at just simply how does your stomach feel after a meal? Do you struggle with IBS or things like that? Do you have constipation? Do you have diarrhea? Do you have gas and bloating after meals? Any of those things are indications that you have an unhealthy level of good bacteria in the intestinal tract and colon, and the best way to replenish that I have never seen anything better is just thrive. This unique probiotic that is different than anything else on the market and absolutely better than anything else on the market. Over time, I see fantastic results with people who have gut issues for sure, but also people who are dealing with mental health issues. It is fantastic stuff. And that as a baseline along with the omega-3s, along with magnesium, B vitamins and things like that should really be where we focus first, even though things like L-theanine, ashwagandha, CBD can really help us right now. If we can get our bodies working the way that they're supposed to in the first place, we don't necessarily need to use the additional supplements to help with anxiety because a lot of the stuff that creates anxiety can be dealt with by natural body chemicals if the body is given what it needs to produce those chemicals. It's really pretty simple. The body is an amazing thing. If nourished properly, it will take care of you. Okay, so that's the end of episode one of the anxiety, depression, and insomnia radio show for Vitality Radio. I'm going to hit depression and insomnia in the next episode. And I think I will go ahead and do that next week. That sounds like a a good thing to do until I change my mind. Thank you so much for listening to me on another episode of Vitality Radio. I am Jared St. Clair, and this has been Vitality Radio. You've been listening to the Vitality Radio Podcast. Enjoy your week. In the meantime, Jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it. Vitality Radio is researched and written by Jared St. Clair, produced by Elizabeth Joy Windham, with very limited help from Jared. Our awesome music is by Brian Bob Young. Support Vitality Radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast source. Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Vitality Radio. 
Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast has not been evaluated by the FDA. This podcast is provided with the understanding that the information shared is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a medical professional. Thank you.